after you got married, 115 degrees. And I'm in a suit. Is this a happy face? No. Uh, but they, they did well. I sends his love to everybody. So I told him that I would, uh, I would share that with you. My doodad, here's a little cricket that's going to bother me all the rest of the message. Maybe I'll stand like that. And that'll be fine. Hey, summer is the, hang on just a second, I got to fix it. This will just like drive me crazy. You guys just go ahead, talk amongst yourselves, and I'll be right back, okay? And it will just be, uh, it will really be no problem. Summer is a time for vacations, and everybody says, amen. It's kind of nice to, to get away and, and relax a little bit and get away from the daily grind. Not only is it time for summer vacations, but postcards, and I know some of you who are younger do not know what a postcard is because you live in the... Uh, Twitter age and the email age, and you can email a postcard now, which is like a, a novel concept to me. But back when old people were young, this was one of the things that people did on vacations. They would send you postcards from all over the place. Well, my son Blake happens to be in New Zealand right now. He comes home this coming Sunday. I can't wait. I won't be here. By the way, Joe and Julie Wilson will be here. He'll be speaking next weekend. I'm not going to be here. My other nephew, Timmy, is getting married, and so I'll be, I'll be there. But Blake sent me a, a postcard from New Zealand, and he's there on a summer internship and, and uh, social justice, and he's the social justice expert there as they kind of craft laws for and, and do s- studies and, and develop thought for the think tank. Anyway, all that aside, he sent me this. And it was really cool on the back he wrote, and you might be able to read it or not. Uh, I just want to show you. He said some really cool stuff. Uh, Greetings. This is to us, his mother and father. Greetings. Can't you just feel the love from the postcard? And I love the way my kid writes. I'm so grateful um, for the love, trust, and support you both have given me in the last few months, especially since I went to college. God has blessed me, and with undeserved privilege, he goes on. The opportunities opened up uh, sacred places in which uh, I've learned more about God and more about myself. Thank you. Uh, And I'm just kind of paraphrasing here. Um, And then he puts love. I don't know if you can see it at the very bottom. He puts love, Blake Ellison Trimble. You know, like, how many sons do I have in New Zealand? That he's got to clarify that this is Blake Ellison Trimble. Well, postcards. Postcards are kind of a cool thing. By the way, uh, don't forget in your travels to send people postcards because I don't know if you know it or not, but I was serving the web and I, 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 who knew that Detroit, go ahead and flip the slide, uh, who knew Detroit was the vacation capital of America and, uh, and we have our own set of postcards and so I didn't know that, thought you guys might like to know. You're just 20 minutes downtown and you're in, you know, uh, a great place. And I do love Detroit, but uh, I'll, I'll send you all a postcard from Detroit next time I'm there, all right? In the New Testament, you have some postcards, They're not long, lengthy letters like Romans or Luke or 1 Corinthians. They're they're just short, and they're they're pithy, and and they're just postcards kind of thing. And many of us read the New Testament, and, and we get the impression that the first century church was just perfect, that it didn't have any problems, they didn't have any, you know, issues going on in the church, 
and that it was just perfect. However, as we journey back in time, the travel brochures of the New Testament depict quite a different setting. There was, scorch, there was a scorching heat, a persecution, that accompanied by flies and ants of heresy that needed swatting. There was the, the sand in your bathing suit because there's a brace of people in the church who got under your skin and rubbed you the wrong way. And it just brings us to a, note, a New Testament postcard, 3 John. 3 John. The easiest way to get to John, not John chapter 3, but 3 John. I, I was helping disciple a new Christian one time back when I lived in North Carolina. And she said, you know, we have more Johns in the Bible than we do in our church. And I said, well, that's, that's true. There's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Revelation, and the Gospel of John were all written by the same John, the author. Uh, but I want you to go to 3rd John. The best way to get there is to go to the back of your Bible, to the book of Revelation, hang a left, and it should be right after Jude. It should be uh, tucked away real close there, all right? Third John. You'll see the verses come up on the screen, but I want you to kind of understand where we're at because this little New Testament postcard has some really good life lessons for us today. Are you there? By the way, I've used this as a devotion for my kids several times growing up, and it's more of a devotional thing than, than it is a, a message because it's, it's just kind of this little port postcard. In this postcard from 3 John, you're going to meet four guys. One's the author, and his name is John. If you look at 1 John 3, 3 John, if you look at verse 1, and I'm going to get tripped up going chapter, well, it's just verses. There are no chapters, just kind of one thing. But if you look at verse 1, he simply states that he's the elder. You see it there. In verse 1, he says that he's the elder. Third John 1. The one's the verse, not the chapter and the verse. He says that he's the elder. It begins the same way that second John begins. Second John was written to a lady. Third John was written to a man. Both are believed to be kind of symbolic and of the church that John was uh, pastoring over, a group of churches that he was presiding over. And the author simply identifies himself as the elder. He writes on his own authority. He writes with a sense of authority. And he writes under the authority of the Holy Spirit of God. And he simply says, the elder, the elder. Isn't that cool? Before the names, before the time where everybody had one name, you know, share, right? Prince or the guy formerly known as Prince. You know, here you have a guy saying, the elder. And his name is John. John is the, the beloved disciple and the elder who I believe is Apostle John held this position of authority because he had a theological, moral, and pastoral authority and leadership. Theologically, he was the leader of the pack, man. He was, it, those early disciples, as they were trying to kind of make sense of everything and the teachings of Christ and, and the explanations and the extrapolations of the Apostle Paul and Peter and James and others, and they were trying to, to make sure that the early church stayed uncorrupted by heresy and false doctrine and false teachers, John was one of those leaders that led the way. Now, John is not confrontational. 
John is not a challenger. Matter of fact, he's known as the beloved disciple. He has very much this at ease and laid back kind of approach. But John was also committed to truth. In fact, in this text, uh, in this little postcard, seven times in this little postcard, John mentions truth, the truth, truth, the truth, truth, the truth. Because John understood that a Christian has to have love, but the love has to be anchored in truth. That you can't have truth and not have love because you've missed the understanding of Scripture. And you can't have love and not have truth. And truth needs love and love needs truth. And it's a wonderful balancing act. And I know a lot of Christians who love everybody, but they don't have an ounce of theological truth to support them. John is simply saying, listen, you need both. You need love and you need truth. You got to love one another. Would you just turn to somebody around you and just go, I love you. Go ahead. Say it loud. Now, I want you to do it to somebody you're not related to. Because I know what you men did. I know what you men did. You looked and you mumbled. Some of you guys went, yeah. Hey, listen, it's easy to tell somebody that we love and loves us that we love them. Well, it's a little harder to do this whole love thing when it's kind of outside of our scope or outside of our circle. And so John was simply saying that Christian truth, one of the main expressions of Christian truth is love, and love has to be anchored in truth. That's why we bear one another's burdens, because we do it because we love them. We do it because of truth. Truth. And so John had this authority. He's known as the beloved apostle, and he tells us that love and truth work together. And John asks for the very best for this next guy we're going to meet. By the way, John was a lifetime follower of Jesus Christ. Somewhere around 27, 28 A.D., he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. His last book that he wrote was around 95 A.D., the book of the Revelation that he wrote on the island of Patmos. John isn't a fly-by-night. John isn't a Johnny-come-lately. John is a lifetime follower of Jesus Christ. If you want to look at somebody who stayed the course... He was the only one there at the cross when all of the other disciples ran. He was one of two that ran to the empty tomb when none of the others would go. John is a lifetime follower of Jesus Christ and made no bones about it. In fact, the reason he was on the Isle of Patmos was because he was a lifetime follower of Jesus Christ. Then you come to Gaius. Gaius, you're introduced to this guy in verse 2. And Gaius is an end-time Christian. He's a new believer. He's recently come to faith under John's ministry. John has been preaching the truth and the gospel. And so Gaius comes to know Christ as his Savior. And in verse 2, you'll find that John says this. He says, dear friend, he's talking about Gaius. He's an on-time follower. 
and he talks to him, and John acknowledges that the spiritual growth of Gaius was progressing well. Just listen to verse 2 and 3. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. See, we believe here at Kirby Church that Christian growth is normal and expected in the life of a believer. That you and I are supposed to be on-time followers of Jesus Christ. That what he says we do, where he leads, we'll go. And we're to be on-time followers of Christ. That growth in Christ is normal and it's expected. And John is just going, out a boy, Gaius. Way to go, buddy. Keep going, man. Don't slow down. Don't stop. Keep going. Isn't that great? Because there's a lot of you, you started off and people were cheering you. And somewhere you've kind of slowed down to a... You started off well, but you just kind of, every great once in a while, I will jog through our neighborhood. Every great once in a while. I saw Randy this morning. Every great once in a while. And you know what I do? I ain't lying. I'm honest. I will walk. And then when I get, because we got like eight folks and live in the sub you know, our sub come here to church. So when I get in front of their house, I start jogging. <laughs> and then when I'm past their house and I know they can't see me out the window, I start walking. I come to somebody else's house. I get out of eyesight, start walking. You know what a lot of you do? You come to church when everybody else is around and you start jogging. You want everybody to see how good you look as a believer. And you get out of eyesight, you start walking. See, there was a, there, there was a problem in the church that John was pastoring that there were a lot of people who wanted to look good. But they didn't let Jesus permeate every part of their life. And so John was telling Gaius, keep going. Don't just keep going when people are watching. Don't just keep going when you show up to church. Keep going. Follow Christ. Matter of fact, if you were to read, and, and the verses will come up on the screen, and I hope that you have your Bibles open, you will see that through verse 8 that John lists some wonderful qualities about Gaius. He said that his spiritual growth was progressing well. He said that, that uh, he had hospitality to missionaries and other Christians who were traveling through, who didn't really know, he didn't really know them. He just opened their home up to them and, and blessed the church by showing hospitality to them. And that he had a demonstration of love. You can see that in verse 6. That this demonstration of love was obvious, so much so that some of the other brothers who had seen Gaius in action came back and told John, say, hey, your son in the faith, your boy, your spiritual guy, Gaius, he's doing well. And John's writing, saying, man, that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to keep growing in your faith. You're supposed to keep moving forward in Christ. 
You're supposed to keep following after God with a holy passion. And you're supposed to be more like him at the end of this day than you were at the beginning of this day. And you're supposed to be more like him at the end of this week than you were at the beginning of this week. You're supposed to be more like him at the end of this month than you were at the beginning of this month because spiritual growth is normal and expected in the life of the believer. And so Gaius is getting like major kudos and major applause. And he urged Gaius to continue what he'd been doing. Did you come to the next guy in the postcard? His name is Dietrephes. And this guy, man, he's a part-time follower. He's a part-time follower. One guy's on time because he's growing, he's learning. The other guy's part-time. And he, he, John just denounces this guy. Look at verse 9. It says, I wrote to the church, but this guy, Detrefes, I'm not so sure he's really with us. He, he almost like excludes him and says, listen, people who are supposed to be in the church don't act this way. How was he acting? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, uh, who loves to be first. Well, what's that? That's pride, isn't it? That's pride. It will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I'll call attention to what he was doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dude, I don't want to shoot this guy. Man, he's puffed up with pride. Thinking he's got to be the first in line. He's got to be the first to be heard. He's got to be the first to get what he wants. He's got to be the first to do this. He's got to be the first to do that. He's got to be the first to get, the first to do, the first this, my way, my song, my mission, my this, my that, mine, 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 mine. What is wrong with that theology? It's not biblical. Jesus said the teacher, or that he came, the king, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, follow my pattern. You're not here to be served. You're here to be a servant to others. Boy, that smacks in our culture, doesn't it? And he was so puffed up with pride. He wanted his own way. By the way, I wish... I could say that proudful Christians were not a thing, were a thing of the past, but they're not. We got them in our church. They're in the next church down the road, and the next church down the road, and the next church down the road, and down the road, and down the road. Every church has got Christians who operate this way, thinking that they're entitled, thinking that they're part of the deserved. And I'm telling you, can I just be... A little blunt here. Let me tell you what you deserve. Because of your sins and your sinfulness and the offense of your sins was so abominable and damnable to a holy God, you deserved an eternity in the lake of fire. That's what you deserved. You deserve nothing less than that. But grace stepped in. 
and mercy gave you something you did not deserve so that you could enjoy the grace of God. And so because mercy gave you something you did not deserve, you can extend it to others. You can extend grace to others because, you, because of God's grace to you. But somehow we think we deserve it. You don't deserve anything. Everything you have, grace, God's grace. Well, this guy, man, he was, he was full of wicked words. Man, he couldn't control his tongue. He couldn't control his tone. He couldn't control his attitude. He was just all over it, man. He would rip at everybody. He'd rip the preacher, he'd rip John, he'd rip the elder, he'd rip the deacons, he'd rip the church, he'd rip the other guys. He's ripping into Gaius. I mean, he was ripping into everybody, malicious words. And then read what the Bible says, and he wasn't content to stop with that. No. By the way, sin is never content to stop with that one sin. And that's what gossip is. Whether you do it on Facebook, cell phone, text, Twitter, Gossip is gossip in any form. But it rarely stops there, does it? Sin is one of those things where you do it. It's almost like a potato chip. You want another one. It leads to another one. And it leads to another one. And it leads to another one. By the way, the motives for Diatrophes' actions were not theological. And people who have problems in churches, by the way, best of my knowledge, we don't have problems. We have problems, but we don't have the John 3 postcard problem that we're talking about here. But he didn't have a theological problem. His was a sin issue. I am somewhat of a student of church history. Not a good student, but somewhat and somewhat in quotation marks. I cannot tell you of very many church splits, church splits that happened because of denominational differences or not denominational, but because of theological differences. I can tell you a whole bunch where it was all about personal preference. It was all about pride. I want my way. I want this. My feelings got hurt. And blah, 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 blah. And so because he had no theological basis, it was all personal. And it was because of his own immorality, he was just throwing the church, man, under the bus. So the elder John, the lifetime follower, is writing to Gaius, the on-time follower, that you're not to follow after the part-timers. Because if you're part-time, then you don't get full-time blessing. Now I'm talking to some of you, you are part-time Christians. You come here on Sunday morning, you come here on Wednesday night, you send your kids to church camp, you send your kids to whatever's going on, and, 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 and you think that's it. And you come, and that's all. You never read your Bible, not connected in a life group. Pray only when you are in trouble and need help. Rarely do you discuss things of God with your children 
The statistics are that 80% of all Christians do not ever read their Bible. And we had a lot of part-timers, man. People who want to keep God segregated to Sunday from 9.30 to noon in their life. And that's his part. That's where he belongs on the plate. That's where, that's where he's at. And don't mess it up. And don't let him touch other areas. He's a part-time follower. But the elder, John, the lifetime follower, writes to Gaius, the on-time follower, about the part-time follower. He says, don't follow that guy. He says, if you're going to watch a guy, he introduces to another guy at the end of this little postcard. He said, follow Demetrius. Follow Demetrius. He's a full-time follower. Demetrius is well-spoken of by everyone and by the truth itself. In other words, his life and his theology, his actions and his attitude, his beliefs and his behaviors, his creed and his conduct, his doctrine and his duty, it all lines up. There's no difference. He, he is, if you're going to follow a guy, Gaius, follow Demetrius. He's a guy that lets Christ affect every area of your life. Church, let Jesus Christ permeate every area of your life. Don't relegate him on your plate to Sunday morning only. Don't put him in just that, that little spot or that little box. Make him a part of, of your life. Take him with you when you go to work on Monday. You coach Little League or soccer, take him to the soccer field with you when you go. When, when you're driving your kids to the store, make it a point. You say, wow, man, it sounds like you really want me to live this Christian life, this Christ-following thing 24 hours a day. Yes! Yes! That's what we're called to do. But here's what a lot of us do. And just kind of, kind of, we're not going back to diners, drive-in, and, and dives, but, but I, thought, I thought I would just kind of illustrate this a little bit. And, and, and it would have, really, this would have been my sermon and little illustration last week at Church of the Park because there's some of you, and how many of you, when you eat one food, can't touch another food? Raise your hands. Let's see who you are. We will have therapy for you. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, you see the gravy, and the gravy's starting to slowly move like molasses to the bacon. And you're going, don't let it touch that. Don't, don't let it touch. Get it away from those strawberries. It can't touch. I mean, you may have to leave the room if one thing touches another. And this is the way you guys, a lot of people, they live life. If Jesus is the berries, all right, and Jesus is the berries, by the way. But if Jesus is the strawberries here, man, you can't, the way, you, you know, you just, you don't let him touch other areas of your life. You kind of have a hiss. It's just like, no, it doesn't 
belong where I work. It doesn't fit when I play softball. It doesn't work when I'm working out. It, it belongs over here out of the business sector. It belongs over here away from my leisure time. It belongs over here away from my finances. And we compartmentalize and we segregate our Christianity away from every other area of our life so that Jesus has got this one tiny place on our plate. We don't let it touch anything else. The problem with that is Jesus Christ did not come to be the berries or to be something extra in your life. He came to permeate your life. He came to so change your life that you could never separate it again. Matter of fact, if this is the way that you live faith, let me kind of show you how, how you should live faith. And I'm not a cook, and I'm telling you, I am more, this is, uh, I am like more worried out over what I'm about to do. You just don't even know, because I've never done this before in my life. Sounds like it's going to blow up. Ah. Michael Hewitt, ladies and gentlemen, nice round of applause here. Am I good? Am I done? He gave me a crash course lesson. He said, push one button and I panicked, you know? <laughs> See, the deal is, you put the berries in and it changes the color of your life. You put Jesus in your life and it, and it, isn't, it isn't just a segregated part, but now it's a whole part. It isn't a part that, that is just compartmentalized. But man, it is a part that has changed the fabric and the taste and the, and the structure. And I'm going to drink this just because I have no idea what it's going to taste like. Maybe I won't. Dude, that's pretty good. Let me tell you what's not good. Jesus said, nope, you're not to be a part-time follower. You're to be an on-time follower. You're to be growing in your faith. If your life looks like this, you need a fresh start, not to be saved again. You just need to go, God, I didn't understand. I thought Jesus was to be separate from every other area of my life, and it was an event, Jesus was an event I would go to on Sunday morning, but I now understand, and he is to permeate my life, that I'm to be a full-time follower of Jesus Christ, that he is to impact every area of my life. Would you bow your heads, would you close your eyes, because I'm talking to some part-time followers, aren't I? You neatly and conveniently keep Jesus away from the sin issues of your life. Oh, you may call upon him when you get in a jam and pray. You may cry out to him and reach out to him if you need something. But other than that, it's basically a Sunday morning deal and you're done. And when Sunday morning is done, Jesus is done. And there's no more Jesus in your life until the next Sunday morning. You're a part-time follower. The New Testament postcard of 3 John says, nope. Don't be a tri a dia triface. Don't be a part-time follower. 
be a follower that's totally devoted to Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ permeates every area of your life. I'm sorry, heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I wonder, would you just be honest with me right here? Would you just say, Pastor, you know, I, I started off running well. I really did. But somewhere along the way, I started compartmentalizing Jesus. I started keeping him here. And I just started leaving him so he needs to touch any other area of my life. And that is wrong theology. That's the wrong kind of love, and that's the wrong kind of truth. And he may just say, you know, the Holy Spirit's just speaking to my heart. I just need to surrender, not get saved again, but just to say, Lord, I got in a bad habit here of keeping you away from other areas of my life that you intimately need to be involved in. And I just want you to forgive me of that. And I invite you into every area of my heart, every area of my life. You're not just going to be the berries on the plate. And I'm going to put you in the blender of my soul and every part of me every part of me you have full access to to change, to mold, to shape so I wonder if there's somebody you just be honest and say you know pastor I, I started off good somewhere along the way just habit, life, don't know what it is, you just started doing this whole part time thing, keeping Jesus off to the side in his own little compartment and you realize today the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you and saying uh uh-uh, uh that's not the way a Christian lives it's not the way a Christian grows. That's not the example for other Christians to follow. So I wonder if you would just quietly raise your hand. Let me just pray for you. Thank you so much. Man, just raise your hand quickly. God bless you and you. And others, just raise your hand. And it's, boy, it's hard not to fall into that part-time trap, isn't it? And to live sold out for the Lord. Would you stand to your feet? Many of you raised your hand. Kevin is going to sing one verse and one chorus of this song. And if you need to come and pray, you want somebody else to come and pray with you, for you, man, this would be a good Sunday just to have a sweet time with the Lord. So, Father, I pray for every hand that was raised. Father, would you speak to our hearts? May we be responsive. We can pray at our seats. We can pray at the altar. Lord, it doesn't matter. We